Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm a feminist, but I would be willing to cause the first and maybe only scandal of the Biden White House if Kamala Harris would agree to run off with me and make me her first lady. <laughs> oh, that's very good. I like mm. that. I would be open to it. I would be open to it if she asked. Yeah. When I saw her in that white lickable outfit, Oh, that speech, that speech with that one. And I know we're not allowed to talk about the fact that she had a beautiful outfit on because everyone got very upset with the papers did. But I'm sorry, it was a very beautiful outfit. Why and did the I know we don't upset? comment on men's outfits. I know we don't, but I'm commenting on hers because it was amazing. Why were they upset about it? They got upset that I think it was The Telegraph who talked about the outfit. And I, to be fair, it was in the outfit section of The Telegraph. I think the political section of The Telegraph commented on the politics and the outfit section. Not that I'm a fan of The Telegraph. I'm not, I'm not here to defend the... I'm not an apologist for The Telegraph, just to be clear. <laughs> but I think it was the... It was the silk blouse section of the Telegraph that was saying nice silk blouse. And everyone went, you wouldn't say that if a man had a silk blouse on. And, uh, but the and thing I, is, I the, mean, the they're not wrong, but no. I just was like, I couldn't. I was like, oh, yes, don't talk about the outfit. But the outfit me, itself was a political statement, Deborah. It was a political statement to wear a white outfit. So I have no problem with us talking. Sometimes, of course, women shouldn't uh, be classified by their clothing. But in this instance, she did it as a political statement. So I think it's fine and legitimate to talk about her outfits, don't you think? What was the political statement? I don't know if you recall the, the number of uh, women in Congress who wore white. Is it, are we talking about the white outfit that she had on? Yeah. Yeah, it, for Americans it represents suffragettes. Oh. Yeah. So here it would be green, purple and white. Yeah. But in America it was white. Because Hillary Clinton wore white on the night she didn't win but thought she would. It's and a they really, had a big glass ceiling above her that was about to open. It's a really big, important feminist statement for, by American women. And uh, there was, a, uh, during the State of the Union, Trump's State of the Union, a uh, huge number of women, um, mostly Democrats, obviously, uh, turned up in uh, Congress wearing white. Oh, I missed that. That passed me by. I just thought she looked incredibly hot. I'm, but I you see, definitely... you can look hot and make a political statement at the same time. That's what I think. That's what I think. I'm all about that. I'm a feminist, but I am not above saying to a man, ooh, don't you look strong when there's something really heavy to be lifted. <laughs> you know, That's one bad, sort of it? strength is upper body strength, Sandy. The other sort of strength is the ability to get someone else to pick something up. Yeah, see? So we had a flat tyre and both my wife and I drove into a flat tyre shop uh, and went, I don't know what's happened. And I know perfectly well how to change a tyre, just couldn't be asked. And uh, they couldn't have been more charming. And strong, so strong. 
So strong. So no, strong. It's another skill. It's just upper mind strength rather than upper body strength to get someone else to do it. A, a woman once um, stopped at, late at night, knocked on my front door, and she said, I'm sorry to bother you. This is before mobile phones, darling. This is quite an old story. She said, I'm sorry to bother you, but can I use your phone to call the AA? I've got a flat tyre. And I said, it would be ridiculous. It'd take ages for them. We were living out in the country. Take ages for them to come out. I'll change it. So I went out and I changed the tire for her and uh, and she drove off. She came back the next day with six bottles of wine. I mean, I said, please, the fan belt, anything, just break down here again because <laughs> this is absolutely bloody marvellous. Wow. There's wine in it. Were you Sandy Toxvig at that point? I, I've always been Sandy Toxvig. <laughs> I haven't suddenly transformed myself into somebody else. I was well, Sandy Toxvig at that time and indeed when I was born. Did she know that you were Sandy Toxvig though? Well, well, I mean, were you Sandy Toxvig or were you Sandy Toxvig? Were you famous? Well, I mean, I don't know, darling. I've been on telly since I was 23 and I'm 62. So probably I was doing something at the time. So her story that she's had for the rest of her life in that case is, I knocked on a door to use a phone to get someone to call the AA and Sandy Toxvig changed my tyre. Okay, yeah, that may well be. <laughs> Maybe she came back with six bottles of wine hoping you'd invite her in. Yeah, didn't happen. I drank them all. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I genuinely feel I'd be doing something good for America by running off with Kamala, with Kamala Harris because I would be upping the representation in the White House if Kamala was in a same-sex relationship. Oh, that's very good, darling. That's, that's a gift very, that's to the White House. It's a, a gift, gift to America. Well, I'm a feminist, but and this is terrible. It's terrible. And I thought, I've never told anybody this, but I'm going to reveal it. I am a feminist, but on the day I was hosting the Women's March in London, I decided I'd go and do a bit of marching, and I'm not very good with crowds. So we got to the march, realised how crowded it was, and my wife and I went and had coffee at Claridge's Hotel instead. Oh! (laughs) That's very bad! Wow. I know. Well, look, you opened the march. Your presence was felt. Yeah, and I hosted the whole thing on stage. So I was I was there, but for the actual cold bit with lots of people, I was in Claridge's. <laughs> oh, and were you worried about getting papped in Claridge's while... I never worry about getting papped. <laughs> it's not a big thing. I d- <laughs> Can I just say in my defence, it was the only place nearby that was open. <laughs> It's not like yeah. I've been no. since. It's what um, everyone's assuming. But everyone's it's very, assuming there was no Cafe Nero. No, it's very bad, though, to say, what were you doing on the day of the Women's March? I was having coffee and marriages. Also, I'm very short, and I find marching seem always to be with tall people. I don't know what that is. So I spend my... I mean, I'm right down by the, the armpits and the farting. It's not, it, it's not pleasant for me. I'll just put that out as a defence. No, no one's going to judge you. Well, they might. But they might. Fuck them. Fuck them. Um, well, I'm a feminist, but the Mary Wollstonecroft statue. Discuss. Um, have you seen it? No. It's just come out. Uh, it's been unveiled in London. Uh, it's been in the. It's all over Twitter today. Um, she's naked, and my main what? question is how. What? How did she have time to give birth to feminism and also get abs that toned? What? What do you mean? What do you mean she's naked? Yeah, okay, what? so it's a sorry, it's what? big silver I'm literally wave, going to Google it. And then it's like got a foot at the top and then a tiny, teeny Mary Wollstonecraft. But we know what she looks like because there's loads of paintings of her and it's more like a sort of faceless Barbie. But it's... Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... I'm so happy I'm unveiling it to you, Sandy Toxvig. This feels like a big moment for the podcast. God, but Maggie Hamling, she knows what she's doing. Alison, first statue to her in the world, which seems remarkable given she is widely seen as the mother of feminism. And her ideas were remarkable for her time. Like she was out there on her own saying these things. She's incredible. She's one of my uh, heroines. Uh, and she's, I, 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 I'm going to be completely honest and say that it really saddens me. It really saddens me because she had the finest mind of her generation. Uh, and I don't want to, I hate that I would diss Maggie Hamling's work because I really admire Maggie. I think she's a fantastic artist. I, I think just, she knows now that many people find this a misstep. I don't think you're alone. And everyone loves her. Everyone loves her. But nobody seems to have, well, maybe some people love it. I don't know. But the Twitter action I've seen has not been 
a great response so far. Why is she naked, though? I don't understand that. I don't understand what that's about. And also what's interesting is that you have to think about the time when Mary Wollstonecroft was alive. It was the very clothing of women that was partly what hampered her, that Mm. that didn't enable her to get out and about and do all the things that she wanted to do. Um, If you have to imagine the constrictions of the clothing that she's wearing. So to show her naked... It just seems to me the antithesis of what she actually went through. It just, it pains me. If maybe that- that's why they've done it. Maybe she did it because, maybe she was, you know, talked to the people who commissioned it. I don't know, but maybe it was about freeing her from the corset. But is, it, is that possible? And everything else, and the knickers as well. <laughs> <laughs> we can't put her in a bikini. I think you could free her from the corset or not. I don't think you could have her in jeans and a T-shirt. Although that could have been quite interesting. I like uh, that she's not- her in a contemporary feminist... Uh, get up, but she's not tied in her bush, which I quite like. As so <laughs> we could have her in one of Sandy Toxvig's outfits, a uh, tartan shirt and a striped yes, uh, I think that's the way forward. Know, west, westcott. I mean, my, that was my instant reaction. I hadn't seen it. Uh, my instant reaction is that I'm uh, disappointed, um, and I guess maybe what I, who knows? And you never know what an artist is trying to uh, say, but maybe they're trying to say this is who she was underneath. I mean, there's so much sadness about her. She tried to kill herself. Um, she jumped off uh, Putney Bridge, actually. Um, and it's such a wonderful story. What we know is that she was rescued by a passing boatman called Mr May um, and taken home by Mr May. And the only sentence about it that we know is that it was at Mr May's house that Mrs May persuaded Mary of the rightness of living. Now, you have to understand, a boatman's wife would have been illiterate at the time, so this is an illiterate woman talking to quite simply the finest female mind of her time and persuading her of the rightness of living. And I just think... That's such an extraordinary story about those. T- wouldn't you have wanted to hear that conversation between those two women? Would have been an astonishing thing. And there's so much more to her. I, I'm actually hurting for Mary Wollstonecraft that that's how we want to look at her. It, it actually pains me. I'm afraid. I mean, I wouldn't have minded if it was just a head or something. But it, it's just, I'm trying to. I'm literally going. I try. I love statues. I love history, and I'm trying to think of naked men in London. And I mean, they nearly always have a little bit of a careful clothing thing, don't they? they, they it's... Well, the only naked men and sort of like nymphs and things like that. Yeah, mythological. Not... You would never have a statue of Churchill naked. That, okay, that's a really good example. I mean, it would be hilarious, I think. Um... <laughs> well, I think instead of trying to raise money for more statues of women, I think the thing to do is say, let's have statues of famous male figures, yeah. uh, white male straight figures of power, but they've all got to be naked. Yeah. And uh, slightly risible in some way or another. Yeah, let's I see think Trump naked. I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a joke about Nelson's column in here somewhere, but I'm not the person. To make <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grace, you're always the person to make the joke about Nelson's column. Uh, Sandy, do you have another I'm a feminist Bart? Yes, I'm a feminist Bart. I dress as Huckleberry Finn. Uh, I don't know what that's about. Uh, whether I, 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 my wife says I dress like a small ten-year-old boy. Uh, I always have a penknife in my pocket. I always have a bit of string and something interesting that I found on a walk and mud on my shoes. So, and I think it's great. I think it's great that one can be a feminist and dress. I, I'm very, very bored with the I'm a feminist, but I wear pink. Oh, I don't care. Um, I don't care what anybody wears. If I'm honest with you, although I do care that Mary Wollstonecraft has got no clothes on at all. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, and our very special guest, Sandy Toxvig, with music from Grace Petrie. Yes. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. Today, my co-pilot is the incredible, the one, the only... Sandy Toxvig! Yes! <laughs> I've wanted to get you on the show for a very long time, Sandy. I, I you know, you're so impressive. I, I had to wait until I could steal the courage to come and chat with you. I love your I, show. You're amazing. Well, you're a woman of unbelievable tact as well as talent. <laughs> I think that's what I've learned so far. So far. It's, uh, no, you're normally just too busy between Bake Off and QI and all the inc- other incredible things to do. Women's Equality Party, you are, I mean, I feel like Women's Equality Party should probably come before Bake Off. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, my wife said the other day, can we just discuss the concept of a day off? And that was as far yes. as we got. Yes. <laughs> we just oh. got that far. How 
has your lockdown been, Sandy, actually, for days off? Because I feel everyone else has been making banana bread and I feel like I've been working harder than I've ever worked and I'm annoyed. I have not stopped. Um, uh, uh, this is not to say, oh, poor me working in the tin mines because my wife uh, works in mental health and she really has not stopped. She runs the, um, the counselling service for uh, an LGBT charity. And the need has just been unbelievable. So she's been incredibly busy. So for me to say I'm busy sounds sort of pathetic, really. Um, but yes, I, what did I do? I wrote a book and I wrote an opera uh, and a film. You wrote an opera? I did write an opera, yes. That feels like a hostile act in 2020, if, you're, <laughs> if I'm completely honest with you. But like Now everything I've done is just not writing an opera. How have you written an opera? How have you got those skills? I, well, as well as hosting QI. I don't understand that. They're very different skills. My sister, Jenny, is a wonderful librettist and she and I write musicals together. And uh, we were asked uh, if we would uh, do this uh, opera. So, uh, and I, Do you know what? It was the most fun. It was the most joyous fun. Uh, so whether it happens or not, as you, as I'm sure you know, the creative world is full of things that never quite take off. But I really, really enjoyed it because the thing about opera is it's sort of grand and uh, uh, larger than life. And, uh, and that's yeah. great. We could do with a bit of that at the moment, I think. Yes. No, we've had a bit of opera on this podcast. We went to see the queer retelling of Cinderella at Glyndebourne and we had... Uh, was it good? Yeah, it was so good. We had a, 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 am I, am I, Danny Denise. No, am I saying her name right? What's her name? Is it Danny Eldenese? Have I said her name? I'm just, I get so paranoid I'm going to say someone's name wrongly. I'm going to just look her up. But she had us for dinner, so we'll have to edit this out. I'm glad I'm not live streaming for getting her name. She had us for that grand dinner, you go. Yeah. What's she called? I knew it was Danny Eldenese. I didn't trust myself. Yes, it's not hate when that happens. That I say something and I think, oh, no, I'm sure my wife is called Debbie, but I'll just go check. Um, You know, it's that... Is your wife called Debbie? She is, actually, yes. Oh, is she? Really? Okay. Well, interesting. That's interesting information for me to store away that you enjoy a Deborah. I do like a Deborah. <laughs> should, should a vacancy arise? I'm not suggesting one should. I, do you know what I really learned in lockdown is that three months alone with my wife is not enough. That's right. Oh, what a poetical thing to say. I adore her. <sighs> Oh, that's we've so lovely. We've been together 14 years, so, you know, you'd think by now the shine would have worn off. Yeah. But so far not. What is it about her that you love? What's the stickiness of wanting to be with her more? Um, it, it, well, it sounds so pathetic, but every room she's in is a better room. Uh, so <laughs> Is she funny? Is she... She's annoyingly funny. It's very irritating. It's not her job. It's literally not her job. She's a therapist. Her job is to listen to me. But, <laughs> but she makes you laugh. She makes so me I think laugh. that's the big one for me. If Tom didn't make me laugh, it yeah. would be over. Yeah, no, she makes and, me laugh. And more than that, if Tom didn't find me funny, it would be... I think someone who really gets you and finds you funny, that's sort of where the spark is, isn't it? Yeah, no, that would be a deal breaker. No, I don't know that she finds me funny. I think um, mostly she looks at me and shakes her head and goes, you're not going out dressed like that, that's mainly. <laughs> The conversation. Ah, that we ah. Well, you, you know, everybody needs somebody who's going to be completely honest with them about leaving the house in disarray. She just said um, to me, I said, I'm going to go and talk to Deborah. And she said, dress like that. I said, it's fine, darling. It's for a podcast. She went, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, look, I turned up three minutes late with wet hair and no bra as specified. And the thing is, in the old, before times, before COVID, if I was doing a podcast with you, I would have really good hair and makeup and I would have thought about an outfit and I just, I don't know what's happened to the bar in 2020, but it's just, it's not even low. It's just disappeared. I've got rid of my bar. You've just come to my bar. That's all. I literally don't care. <laughs> I literally don't care. I have a, I've had a, for many years, somebody who dresses me for when I do, you know, a television show of some kind and I'll get dressed. And then just as I'm going out into the search, puts a hand under my chin and she says, what color are you wearing? And I have <gasps> no idea. I haven't looked in the mirror. <laughs> I have paid no attention. I could care less. So wow. today I'm at wow. home, I'm wearing a plaid shirt and a mismatched Just William jumper. See, I think you're wearing something Harry Styles would wear at the moment because he'd do a mismatch layer. Oh, I that's think you're accidentally thing. hip. <laughs> Seriously, Santi, I think you've stumbled into a Stylesian uh, hip vacuum. I think the only <laughs> words to do with me and hip is hip replacement. I literally think <laughs> 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 I don't think that's true. I'm sure the word hip isn't hip anymore. 
Grace Petrie, who is, uh, as everybody who listens regularly knows, is one of our most routine musicians on this show, is in the house. Uh, Grace, I don't think do you should call you... anybody a routine musician, darling. I don't think that's nice. <laughs> regular, like a house band? Okay, fine. What no, I mean? Yeah. Okay. Routine one of our most... Regular as you like. <sighs> I don't mean that. I mean, <laughs> I mean most popular, therefore most frequently sits in that seat. That's what I mean. Very much. That's lovely. Uh, one of our most popular, you are probably our most, I think we need to be incredibly honest and say you are a house band, you are our most popular. Uh, oh gosh, thank you. Grace, do you know what is the current word for hip? Like what's, with you, what's no. cool? You, do you Heaven don't know? Above, no. No. <laughs> Could you You've Google it? you me by a long way. Yeah. Tom, I'm, I'm Google what, now, what are the buddy? kids saying? I don't know what the kids are saying. I feel like they're not listening to this. It doesn't matter what it's they're saying. It's not paying anymore, is it? No. Paying for a while. Sick. Paying. It's not sick well, I think, anymore. You, I think you've really missed the turn off there. Years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think. I tend not to listen to the young. I find it's best. <laughs> well, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a folk singer, so you've really pitched this to the wrong crowd. Yeah. I haven't okay, got any so, young fans. Listen, we actually do have young people who listen to this show. We have teenagers who listen to this show and we're very grateful. So could you please... We're very grateful <laughs> that we're not teenagers. That's That they're no, carrying I'm that burden. That teenagers... Well, these, I wouldn't mind being a teenager in this generation because they are the best ones that have ever been, the Gen Zs. Why? Why? Yeah. Because they are saving the world. They're all Greta Thunberg and Milana. No, I completely agree with that, but I, I feel so sorry for them that they have to deal with all that bloody social media and other people giving opinions and, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying that what, what's happening to them is good. I'm saying their response to it. Oh, they're fabulous. Uh, Absolutely fabulous. I'm very impressed. Do you have Gen Zs in the house? Uh, well, uh, so I have my my children have all grown up and got proper jobs now. Uh, my kids are 32, 30 and 26, but I have a 15-year-old stepdaughter. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say the word... 15 again. There we go. Yep. And then I think everybody yep. knows yep. Yep. where we are. But your 15-year-old stepdaughter will know the word for cool. She just won't tell you Yeah, yeah. if you ask her. Roll her eyes at me. She's lovely. Well, she She's just a sm- roll her eyes and leave the room. She's a smashing kid, but her focus is mainly upward in terms of her eyes. <laughs> she rolls her eyes upward. I said to a friend recently, does your son still believe in Santa Claus? And he said, my son doesn't believe in downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're very good. They keep our feet firmly on the uh, accelerator pedal to try and get away. No, they're, yes, they're no. I mean, it's the natural order of things. It is the natural order. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. Although it's going to be a while yet before we can do the kind of touring which we had planned for 2020, we're still doing what we can to put on live shows and we'll be recording an episode of the podcast at the Kentish Town Forum on 18th of February 2021. This will be part of the Podcast Stop, a brand new podcast festival for London, and we'll be in front of a socially distanced audience with the venue doing everything possible to make everything COVID safe. Tickets are on sale now, so go to academymusicgroup.com or see the link in our show notes or on our website. Now, Choose Love normally make a lot of money at their pop-up store in central London. And this year, uh, the shop has to be basic and very brief. So we have to make £2 million by Christmas Day to make sure people just have the basics. And the camp that I visited last year has burnt down and people are living in car parks. So we really, really are just talking the basics. So I really, really want to help with this. So this Saturday... The 12th of December at 5pm, I will be at the pop-up shop. I can sign your book. I can make a little video with you. 5pm on Carnaby Street at the Choose Love pop-up shop this Saturday, the 12th. And we are doing a project with Choose Love called Silver Linings. So the idea is it's been a tragic year in many, many ways. And there are no silver linings to COVID. So if you've got something to be grateful for this year, if you have got a silver lining, we would love you to make a video about it. My silver lining this year has been that I've learned to dance and then I'm going to show you a bit of my dancing. That's right. That's right. This is this. You know this is a good cause if I'm going to show my dancing in public. So I'm going to show you some of my dancing and then say, but some people haven't had a silver lining at all this year. So I'd like to share my silver lining with them by going to the Choose Love store and buying some tents and sleeping bags. And I would encourage you to share your silver lining online 
and also at the Choose Love store. And we'd like to fill our timelines with gratitude. And we'd love those videos to be as active as possible. We're going to launch on December 15th. So you've got time to plan your video. So if you're somebody who's, I don't know, learned to do something outdoors, you've, you know, been running around the park or something like that. We'd love to see the video of you running around the park and you're not just talking straight to camera. If you've learned to bake great banana bread, we'd love to see you actually baking it in your video. You don't have to have achieved anything just to be incredibly clear. Uh, If you've enjoyed dancing around the kitchen with your kids or uh, you've enjoyed just having time to look out your window, video that, that's absolutely fine. And we'd love you to start sharing those videos on December 15th. The things that you've got to add is at choose love, choose dot love, which is the website, what you're buying from choose love and that you'd like other people to share their silver linings online by showing them and share their silver lining with a refugee by buying something from Choose Love. And the checkout code is silver linings, one word. Please join us and help us make the two million quid for people who really, really need it, desperate for a silver lining. Also, you can buy Christmas presents at our merch store and that goes into our pot for good things and helps us out. Or you could buy somebody a Patreon subscription where we do uh, streaming events where you can come and ask me questions. And we had a brilliant event with Grace Petrie recently where she sang songs and we chatted and did Q's and A's and things like that. So if you'd like to buy someone a Patreon subscription, I'm sure they would love that for Christmas as well. So thank you so much, everybody. And now back to the podcast. Sandy Toxvig, you have, and I'm so thrilled to talk to you about this, written a book called Toxvig's Almanac, an eclectic meander through the historical year of 2021. It's something to look at every single day of the year. So you get up in the morning and instead of reaching for your phone in bed, as we do, and start scrolling the bad news and ruining your eyes, flicking through from one thing to another, you don't do that. Instead of the phone, you reach for Toxvig's Almanac And you say, oh, what happened today? What is January the 1st for? And although it doesn't say, and this is what I love about this, it just says it's an eclectic meander through the historical year. What I've noticed is this eclecticism is very womany. Because normally an almanac of eclectic things would be 95% male and there'd be some some femme uh, outliers. But I've noticed in this eclectic book... I think there's, uh, there's one boy. Few, what, there's one boy, is there? I think there's one boy. There's one boy. And uh, I put him in because he's just one of my favourites. Uh, he's called William Shanks, uh, and he was a British amateur mathematician, and he was addicted to calculating pi to as many places as he could. Uh, he, in fact, he devoted his entire life to it. He would sit every morning and calculate new digits and then spend the afternoon checking his work. And uh, he ran a boarding school on the side because, God knows, children don't need too much attention. Um, Mm. And uh, by 1873, he had calculated pi to 707 places. Unfortunately, the final 180 calculations of his workings out were entirely wrong. (laughs) And he died not knowing this, nor that in 1958, a computer did all the work he'd done over years and years of his life in 40 seconds. (gasps) (laughs) I love him. I love him. He wasted his life completely. Entirely wasted life. I feel, though, that the joy that he took in doing it, and I'm glad he died not knowing that, A, he was wrong, and B, he was outsmarted by a computer. I'm glad he died because for him, that was the thing that got him out of bed in the morning, and therefore that passion was not a waste because it was his his delight and his drive. And and if human beings didn't feel like that, then we wouldn't have all the wonderful things we've got. I'm very glad that you take a positive spin on what seems to me to be an entirely futile life. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I love, I love human beings delight for the, the, the passion. I saw a show by Josie Long once. Do you know Josie Long? I do. Yeah. It was called Trying is Good. She focused in one part of the show about a man who had, done paintings of the peaceable kingdom. He loved to paint, but he didn't think because of his religion, anything was a suitable uh, subject for painting except the peaceable kingdom, which is the bit in the Bible where the lion and the lamb lie down together. And so he painted this like every day for his whole life. And she imagined his wife saying something like, could you not do me a nice bunch of flowers or something like that? Or do a dog, I don't know. Um, But And imagine going to the gallery owner and going, we've we've sort of got one of those. We've got four of those now. Yeah, but Um, this one's from the point of view of the lamb. Yes, exactly. 
actually. Um, uh, but she said, I just imagine him on his deathbed saying, I really nailed that peaceable kingdom. And it made me cry so much because it was the end of Edinburgh. Uh, not the end of Edinburgh, sorry. If you live in Edinburgh, yeah. not the end of no, your city. It's... I'm in the Edinburgh Festival. I'm, I'm so sorry. You're Can we so always talking about Edinburgh like it's Brigadoon? Um, <laughs> Do you know that when um, Landseer was doing the Lions at... Uh, uh, Trafalgar Square at Nelson's Column. Mm. Um, he got an actual dead lion from Regent's Park Zoo sent to his studio because he was very excited. And he had it for about three weeks. And in the end, the neighbours complained because it had gone off. Uh, it's Ooh. Of all the things I've ever had to complain about with any neighbour or had a neighbour complain about me, dead lion, I think, is a really good one. Can you get that dead lion up yeah, there? That's, is that, yeah. that's what he carved the Trafalgar Square yeah, lines from? He bases drawings and models. Carved, and, yeah. Not carved, mm. sculpted. Sculpted, yeah. God, that's an interesting fact. I mean, you've been on QI for a while now, so you know. I know everything. Like, I literally know everything. Ludicrous amount of things. Ludicrous amount of pointless things. Another futile life. <laughs> no, not at all. So just to give the listeners an idea of what this book is and I really do think it's very very useful because it's inspiring and we've just had some very good news in the form of the new administration of the White House and Yay. a vaccine for COVID and I feel hopeful at the moment and I like the idea that next year I'm going to wake up and instead of reaching for my phone I'm going to reach for this so this is an example November 10th today that we are recording this Miriam McCabe dies also known as Mama Africa South African singer born 1932 one of the world's most prominent black African performers of the 20th century. She grew up in a segregated black township outside of Johannesburg. She introduced Joza and Zulu songs to Western audiences and sang songs that were critical of apartheid. Please listen to An Evening with Belafonte Makeba. So then what I would do is I would say, Siri or Alexa, play me this. And so that would be my morning beginning. So, so that's, the, that's the idea behind the book is that I simply me. couldn't write all the stories that I wanted to write. I, and so many women whose lives are so astonishing and there isn't the space to write it. But it's me opening a little door and saying, why don't you go and listen to this? Miriam McEber is one of the all-time great female singers. Lots of people may not be familiar with her work in the UK. I hope that maybe some new fans might be generated by suggesting her. And, and one of the things I've really tried to do is to make sure... I mean, it was an impossible task, but to be as broad in my cultural choices, to be as broad in my representation of women as possible. Um, and in fact, my, my brilliant sister kept a spreadsheet and said, oh, you need this type of woman. We haven't got one of those. We haven't got one of those. So we really tried so that everybody feels somewhere in the book there's somebody who they can identify with. Wonderful, wonderful. It's such a treasure trove. And I loved the idea. I, I've already looked up a couple of people from it and thought, oh, I want to know more about this person or I've never heard of that person or oh, I've forgotten about her. Who were you inspired by? Who did you learn about when you wrote this book? Is there anything in particular or anyone in particular? Yeah, that um, well, there's lots of people. You um, want to tell us about? Uh, so, so um, for example, I'll just see if I can find it. Um, there's a very famous march that took place, uh, talking about marching and uh, how important it is to get your voice heard. And uh, on the 27th of October 1917, 20,000 suffragists marched on Fifth Avenue in New York City demanding the right to vote. And that is an incredibly moving uh, thing because we can see lots and lots of black and white photographs from it. And to gather 20,000 people, you have to imagine many people didn't have a phone, many people, there was no uh, internet. I mean, just mustering that many people on one day in one place was an incredible achievement. Um, one of them uh, was uh, Kamako Kimura. So Kamako Kimura was born in 1887 and she's a prominent uh, Japanese suffragist. And we forget that uh, while we're focusing on the amazing people in the United States and amazing people that we, incredible people that we know here in the UK, that there were fabulous women's rights activists in countries all over the world. And I think we've forgotten it. And I really would recommend reading about her. She's fantastic. Uh, she was a Japanese actor and theatre manager. Uh, she appeared in more than 500 plays. She did performances on Broadway in Carnegie Hall. And she's dressed in the full uh, immaculate, old-fashioned Japanese uh, outfit, marching with all these suffragists down uh, Fifth Avenue. And it's a wonderful image to remind us that it's not just about putting our own backyard in order, it's about helping women across the world. And I think that's really important. But, you know, I write a tiny bit about her and I very much hope people will then be able to go and look at her pictures online, go and check her out, because she's, she's inspirational that she used her performance abilities to advance women's rights. She sounds fascinating. Yeah, she's great. I'd love to. I'd love to do more about her. And I think you're right. We're so 
Anglo-centric. We're so Eurocentric. We're so English-speaking centric, really. And we can be both inspired and educated by the way things were done elsewhere and how, uh, and, and just, we should know about it. We should know about it. We shouldn't be so um, navel gazing all the time. I came across um, uh, some wonderful uh, writers whose work I hadn't known before until I did this research. So um, the Tamil people of India and Sri Lanka, there was a poet known as Avaya, and I hope I've pronounced that correctly. It literally translates as respectable woman. The thing is, we don't really know a great deal about her. We know that she was writing somewhere around the third century BC. So you're talking about thousands of years ago. And what I've had translated for me, uh, she writes is, what you have learned is a mere handful. What you haven't learned is the size of the world. And I just think that's incredible that a woman is speaking to me from all those thousands of years ago. I, what I do is I wake up every morning and uh, painfully aware of how little I know. So what one tries to do then is to add to the sum of people's knowledge by, by just putting it. But it's like a pebble in the it's like a pebble in the pond, uh, putting out an almanac, because all you're doing is saying, and there's 4,000 more almanacs times to the power of 10. Do you know what I mean? There's like, when, it'll never, never be done. If somebody else wants to write one, please do, because we'll never tell all the stories. When it says 2021 on it, uh, does that mean there's going to be another one on 2022? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yes. I think it's going to be popular. You'll have to help me, darling. It was a heck of a lot of work. <laughs> I would, well, we could do a guilty feminist one where we could do guilty feminists of your... Do you know what I'm is, tired of, Deb? I'm tired of all women in history who are of note being referred to as badass or uh, mm. rebels or, or somehow you have to be a terrible person or you have to be somehow... Anything else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not okay. We women come in all shapes and sizes and different kinds of personalities, and they're important and worth noting as well. Um, yeah. I'm a little tired of it being that you had to be some kind of rebel in order to be uh, allowed in the history books. Yes, yes, you're right. I think the implication is generally that the system was grinding them down, and so the ones that we can remember are the ones that managed to break through the concrete, but. That's not always the case. And there are people in your book who were quietly doing their thing. Um, and we just have to look a little closer and a little uh, longer for the ones who weren't rebellious and kick-ass, yeah. uh, who were managing to grind away anyway. And often they have been written out of history. Well, I, one of the women I write about is uh, Olive May, and I'm sure hardly anybody knows who Olive May was. She was the very first telephonist for the BBC. So I think we're talking about 1927. She was the gatekeeper to the BBC. And those jobs and those women predominantly who did those jobs are really important that we remember them. She was part of the beginning of the BBC and the public's access to the BBC. But she got married and uh, as soon as she was married, no married woman was allowed to work for the BBC. She had to leave her job. And I know this because my mother was a, a studio manager for the BBC and when she got married, she had to give up her job. It's so extraordinary, isn't it? It's so extraordinary. And it's not that long ago. No, the fact no. that like, it was your mum, you know, who... 1954, she left to get married. And you can either be married or you can work. Or fulfilling yeah. yourself. <laughs> That's it. Those are your choices, really. Yeah. That's why a lot of people became nuns and you can't blame them. Well, they became nuns because, um, because there were books available. It was very difficult to get a good education and have access to books. Uh, certainly, the you know when you look at the, the medieval period, uh, the best way to get an education was to become a nun. So at least you could read the Bible. And were they allowed to read other books? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the books were so valuable books. in that time, darling. They were often chained to the wall in the library because they were, you know mostly hand before Gutenberg. You're talking about handwritten books. So to get access to be allowed to read and to get access to that kind of education was premium, at a premium, yeah. but yeah. you could only do that if you sacrificed that. Or or the ideal thing for you is if your father was a painter or your father was a writer and had a library, a lot of women who did well did so because their fathers allowed their daughters to be educated. So Artemisia Gentileschi, who's one of the greatest Renaissance painters, her father was a painter and that's how she got access to learning the techniques and having brushes and all that kind of thing. Uh, there was one here that struck me, Abigail Hobbs, April 18th. 1692, arrested for witchcraft in Salem, Massachusetts. Abigail was between 14 and 16 years old. Does that mean she was 15? We don't know. What it means is that, uh, no, it means that she was 14, 15 or 16. I see. I assume that's what it meant. But at first reading, I thought she was 15 then, Sandy. Yeah, Could have no. saved yourself some words. Sorry. Uh, when, 
When she was accused of being a witch in the notorious Salem witchcraft trials, she confessed and accused others. During the trials, more than 200 people were accused of witchcraft and 19 were executed. 14 yeah. were women and five were men. See, you say in history that diversity always favours men, but when it comes to witches, diversity and inclusion was on the other side. Yeah, no, we're very... Uh, if you don't really understand a woman, she's either too clever or she's being a bit uppity. Uh, she's either a witch or a prostitute. Those are your two choices, really. Or she could be a prostitute who's been... Consumed by the devil. I mean, she could have both going on for her. Yeah. Sex workers now, even now, I'm really always shocked by the way the jokes about them on network television, it's absolutely constant. And it's there's still a, a massive exclusion to sex workers that we just really need to work on. It says here at least five other women died in jail. It's a famous case of mass hysteria. Abigail was sentenced to be executed but reprieved. There are people like that who I think, my God, she was so young and she did what she needed to do to save her own life in that time. But she's an example of someone who isn't kick-ass or badass or she just was a person in history getting on with her life. She was incredibly young. She was accused of something and she just managed to talk her way through it and out the other side. And What do you want uh, me to say? I'll say. Other people. It must have been such a traumatic thing. But it reminds us what women have been through And it reminds us that these things can happen again. And I think the international response to what's happened in the United States of America post Biden getting in has really, I think, demonstrated how much the world thought America was really flirting with fascism there. Well, I mean, it had a hint of the Third Reich, didn't it? And I think now saying that, um, you know, we might hold some rallies to claim that the election is fraudulent is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. It's just not good for the rest of the world. And what was interesting, I didn't know I was going to feel like that, but when they announced for Biden, I burst into tears. And I realised I was carrying tension on behalf of the world for that. that. I love I grew up in America. I love that country. And uh, what's been happening is is so shocking. And I think many people around the world felt that, a kind of um, visceral relief. You could feel it running through your body. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, but, and before you think that everybody's very sad, can I just say there are some funny people? Yes, uh, please. I want to mention Maria Spelterini, uh, who in the 1870s crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope with peach baskets on her feet. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why she chose peach baskets, but again, there's a marvellous photograph of her doing it on the internet, and do please have a look at her because it'll make you smile. Great. So this is just full of treasures and the full of the incredible history of women Do you, and make a great Christmas present, actually. I might give it to a couple of people because I just think we all need it right now. Do you feel hope right now? I mean, you started the Women's Equality Party or co-founded it. Do you feel hope right now that things are going to get better? I always feel like that. I'm a Pollyanna about the world. So you have to look, and it didn't get as much coverage as it should have done, but the Women's Equality Party was the single most successful political party in the last general election. And I say that because we had enough money to stand five candidates. That's all. It's very expensive to uh, put somebody up to stand as an MP. And we put up five women, all of them survivors of sexual assault of some kind or other. We put them up against five men, each of whom had outstanding allegations of sexual impropriety or harassment or something against them. And four of them stood down and one of them lost his seat. All five of those men are no longer in Parliament, and that is to do with the Women's Equality Party. So the way you measure success is not about whether you gain power, but whether you are able to really do some of the work that needs doing, rolling your sleeves up, and they're no longer in Parliament, and I'm good with that. Mm, so that's amazing. That's so, you know, so yes, of course I feel hopeful that with very little money and, uh, uh, you know, with nowhere near the kind of resources that a political party truly needs, we are getting work done. What do you think we need to do now? What are your top priorities for feminism now? Um, I, we all need to be activists, every single one of us. And don't sit at home, whoever you are, and think there's nothing I can do. So, for example, Wikipedia. Wikipedia has a terrible gender imbalance in terms of who's written about. Um, the statistics vary, um, but the, the percentage of women who are written about in Wikipedia, it's somewhere between 15 and 20% of the entire uh, crowdsourced encyclopedia. Uh, and it's a serious problem. And the reason that there is a problem is because everybody's a volunteer editor and it is mostly white men who bother to sit and do it, to be fair to them, they do sit and do it. Donna Strickland is a good example, Canadian physicist. Various people kept trying to upload a page about her to say, we need to talk about this Canadian physicist. And the editors kept saying, she's not notable enough. 
and taking the page down. So she was not what? going to be... I've got a Wikipedia page. Yeah. So a she notable was... physicist is allowed one. Well, she got her page on the day she won the Nobel Prize. Is that the bar? You're not allowed on Wikipedia unless you've got a Nobel Prize if you're a woman and every hack guy who thinks he's invented something's got yes. one. So, so no, okay. any one of us can learn, if you have access to a computer, any one of us can learn how to edit Wikipedia. Any one of us can find a woman's story that they think is worth noting and input it into Wikipedia. And unless we all do it, that is going to be, in 50 years' time, the record of history that we take mm. as given. And it's not okay. So so I, I don't, you don't have to found a political party. You don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to feel like you need to do something big and grand. Just write one woman's story down for the rest of us to read. That's it. Okay, I've got a question for you here, Sandy. Does everyone in your book have a Wikipedia page? No, they don't, but I've been very busy trying to input them. So here's my question to you, listeners. If you're a Guilty Feminist listener and you decide you're going to get this book, every single day, and if you're good at this kind of thing, you could go ahead. Could you check when you do your almanac day or if you're a little bit ahead, go, oh, how does this person have a Wikipedia page? And if they don't, make one. Yeah. Because that would be a great job to have and if you're somebody who maybe doesn't think, or you know, you don't have the bandwidth because you've got stuff on, what you could do is tweet and say, oh, I really enjoyed this uh, reading about this particular woman. And I know she doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Could someone make one? Please retweet. And you could even have like a little band on Twitter of uh, Wikipedia pages linked in with a hashtag Almanac. And that would be... Get, get make, a little group doing it. Make me cry. Because actually the more active we become, the more active we become. The more this becomes a community, then someone says, oh, well, here's someone who's not in Sandy's Almanac, but I think should be in the next one. Why doesn't she have a Wikipedia page? Do you know um, what my dream was, Deb, which I, and I'm not technical, so I wasn't able to do this, but I wanted to have like the world's biggest village notice board where people could just come and pin up or post up a, a name so that if I did write another one, people were helping me to make sure I was including the women that I don't know about. Oh, okay. So this, this, that's an easy one that we can do then in that case. So let's create a hashtag. We can do this for the Guilty Feminist. And the hashtag is Toxfig's Almanac Candidate. Great. And so if you've got somebody and you discover they're not in here or you think they might not be, could you just tweet like one line about them, maybe a link to an article about them, and put hashtag Toxfig's Almanac Candidate. And then when Sandy goes to write her next almanac, she can just go to that hashtag and she'll just see loads and loads and loads of links. She'll like, oh, I like this one, or this is a good one, or actually I've already written something about her, or I was already going to include her. Or loads of people have suggested this one person, so I really need to put them in. So, so I don't know a, how to do that because I'm not, I don't do any social media. Will no, you no, help I, me? Any individual in the world can help you with uh, finding a hashtag and it will just all be there. So what will happen, Sandy, is we'll show you how to do it. Okay. Are you on Twitter? Well, and my sister does it. I don't know what she says. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> I, sometimes I say to her, can you say this thing for me? Right, okay. She'll help you with this. But the hashtag is uh, Toxfix uh, Almanac Candidate. Tom, is that too difficult a hashtag to spell? Should we do something easier? You're a computer guy. You're IT. <laughs> an IT question. It kind of is. It's a social media question. I feel like it just might be a long hashtag. Okay, so I don't know. So could we do, I think it should be Toxalmcan, T-O-K-S-A-L-M-K-C-A-N. Is that still terrible? Should it be Sandy Candidate? Is that better? That's better. I literally better. have no idea. Sandy Candy. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I think Sandy Candy is yeah. done. S-A-N-D-I, C-A-N-D-I. Yeah. Tom's, uh, Tom's given the thumbs up to that. So we finally settled on something. This is how brainstorms are. Not all the ideas can be gold, gang. So it's Sandy, hashtag Sandy Candy with two eyes. And you, <laughs> you suggest someone you want to be in the next almanac. And then if yours gets in, you have a party or even a parade because it'll be a mask-free, vaccined up the hill <laughs> zone by then where you'll be just able to snog people in the street. By the time the next Almanac comes out, in my imagination anyway. But also, if somebody is already in there, do you check that they're getting the right credit? So there's a wonderful woman called Tiny Broadwick, and she was a pioneering 
parachutist, and she invented the ripcord, which is an unbelievably important part of a parachute. But if you go to the Wikipedia page on the invention of the parachute, she's not mentioned. So just make sure that even if the person has a page, that they're getting the credit that they ought to have. Well, something I noted in my book, Sandy, I was looking up patents because I thought uh, this is a good way of finding innovators. And uh, the first person listed for an American patent was, you know, some chap who it was something to do with harvesting or something. And then the first woman listed invented something to do with making a hat. And then the first African-American listed and then the first African-American woman listed. And I realized that that is how I'd written it down because that is how it was reported on the Internet. The first person, the first woman, the first African-American, the first African-American woman. And what that really demonstrates is the further you are away from a white man, the further you are away from a person. Yeah. And that is a horrifying thing to realise because when you say the first person, that's what people imagine. They imagine a white man. Then when you say the first woman, they imagine a white woman. And the first African-American, they are imagining a man. And so, and, and the other thing was, is exactly to your point, the, I found out about the first white man, which is what it really was, on a site about patents, but I found out about the first woman on a site about women. Yeah, and don't forget as well that the man may well have taken the credit for something invented by a woman. Or a man he had enslaved, a black man he'd enslaved, which happened all the time. And then the first African-American man was on the site about African-Americans, and the first African-American woman was on the site about hidden figures. History is not... What, it's not the past, it's how we choose to tell the past. Well, it's who, writes, um, who gets to write it down. I mean, there was an actual legal case, a Canadian legal case that ended up at the British Privy Council in which five uh, Canadian women, I think we're talking about 1927, had to uh, go to court to ask if when they use the word persons who are allowed to vote, did persons include women? And the Canadian court said no. And it had to go to a higher court to agree. So until that court ruling, we were not persons at all. Ugh, it's horrifying. Oh, horrifying. no. Good for Touchless, them that they did it. It's marvellous that they did it. Well, I'm excited for this project because this is a fun all-year-round Guilty Feminist project that we can do with you, the hashtag Sandy Candy, and uh, it rolls off the tongue. Uh, and we will be suggesting, so when you come and sit down to look at, to, for ideas for your next almanac, there will be all sorts of exciting women. And I will also ask for people of minority genders to be included in this And you will have a feast, Sandy, a feast to choose from. But also in the meantime, we will get busy updating Wikipedia and making sure the relevant, as you say, the relevant categories of Wikipedia are updated with relevant people who are often left out of history. Thank you. Um, Sandy, this has been an absolute delight. Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? No, just that I'm a fan and I'm delighted to be here. I'm such a big fan of yours. That's absolutely made my year. And it's made my year and and Biden and Harris are going in the White House. So, you know, that will tell you, that will give you some indication. Give Your Best is a non-profit online platform where women who are refugees seeking asylum or who have precarious immigration status can shop donated clothing items for free. They are on a mission to give back choice and agency to the women they support and to create more connection between the person gifting their clothes and those receiving them. If you have something you want to donate, you can register via a form on their website and include two photos of the item and some basic info. Give Your Best then upload each item to an online catalogue where women can choose what they like and shop for free. Give Your Best then arrange a safe delivery between the giver and the receiver. They also send free menstrual products with every order thanks to a partnership with Hey Girls UK and provide a community for the women they support as well as volunteering opportunities for them within their team. They are currently running their first fundraiser for Giving Tuesday, which is on the 2nd of December. If you can contribute to their fund, please do that via their website, giveyourbest.uk, where you can also gift your pre-loved clothes. They are in particular need of winter clothes, coats, jumpers, etc., plus sizes and maternity clothes. To get involved, follow them on Instagram at giveyourbest.uk, Facebook, giveyourbestuk, and Twitter at giveyourbest underscore UK. Uh, Grace Petrie, do you have a song for us? Um, well, I thought, um, so when the last time I recorded with you, Deb, we were we were not sure of the election result, and now I think we are. So I thought I would. Um, a lot of you have been sharing this on my Twitter uh, this week, which is a song that I wrote 
when Trump first got in and uh, when he was going on about building the wall with Mexico and uh, and obviously on the back of such a horrible, uh, divisive racist, racist campaign, it was a very depressing and uh, and very despondent time, I think, when he was elected four years ago. And now we hopefully stand on the precipice of a, a very different four years, a very different administration. And uh, I think we're all, all of us here on the on the progressive side and on the feminist side, we're all of the opinion, obviously, that it's not that everything is okay and that all of the problems have gone away overnight. But I do think um, it's okay to to celebrate the gains that we've made over the past week. So um, this is a song that goes out to all of the uh, activists that were on the ground in America that had such an incredible impact last week and it's called uh, You Build a Wall I guess it's I know it's hard to keep a flame but tomorrow's ours to claim Sometimes a battle cry sounds like a lullaby But tonight I think we need them both the same To everyone who's scared of what they see Every time they turn on their TV To everyone who's listening to me And to every single kid I used to be You build a wall And we'll build a ladder You're falling leaves Dead from the branch And you'll see how much A snowflake matters When we become An avalanche You build a wall And we'll just get higher You don't learn to fight From privilege Hide in the dark And we'll light a fire You build a wall and we'll build a bridge We'll build a bridge Up in your palaces of gold Your day's already growing old For all the ways you tried To conquer and divide Your ruin will be all the lies you told Cos compassion lives in every single land we are made of something you don't understand Stronger than the weapons in your hand And bigger than those armies you command You build a wall And we'll build a ladder You're falling leaves Dead from the branch And you'll see how much a snowflake matters when we become an avalanche You build a wall and we'll just get higher You don't learn to fight from privilege Hide in the dark and we'll light a fire You build a wall and we'll build a bridge We'll build a bridge scared of what they see every time they turn on their TV to anyone who's listening to me and for every single kid I used to be they'll build a wall and we'll build a ladder they're falling leaves dead from the branch and they'll see how much a snowflake matters when we become an avalanche you build a wall and we'll just get higher you don't learn to fight from privilege hide in the dark and we'll light a fire you build a wall 
and we'll build a bridge. You build a wall and we'll build a bridge. You build a wall and we'll build a bridge. Thank you Thank so much. much. Absolutely brilliant. You've Loved it. Uh, oh, Lovely, thank you. Thank you. you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, and our very special co-host guest, Sandy Toxvig, with music from Grace Petrie. Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Zielinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel, Gina, and everyone else who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. will say from across London in the UK via Zoom and do a little intro. Um, from across London, the UK via Zoom. In, do I not normally say in a variety of kitchens, Tom? Um, yes, from a variety of kitchens and bedrooms. Sorry, I don't know why it's come out like that. Oh, okay. From, do, do, yeah, do, do it after a different way. From, from, from a variety of kitchens and bedrooms. Oh, okay, mm, this is, this is, I'll tell you, the tech's not been good, and now that <laughs> this hasn't been right, it, it's almost like having a man do this is not uh, uh, worth it. But no, normally he's ridiculously efficient. Um, right. It no, it's fine. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.